You're listening to Heart of the Ark podcast from the Office for Evangelization in the Archdiocese of Newark. We're coming to you to bring knowledge and some courage as we voyage through this life as missionary disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Jennifer Benke, and I'm co-hosting this podcast with my friend and colleague, Father John Gordon. So this is the Heart of the Ark podcast. My name is Jennifer Benke. I'm the Associate Director for Evangelization at the Archdiocese of Newark. And today I am joined by my colleague and friend, Dr. Ann Masters. Ann is the Director of the Office for Pastoral Ministry with Persons with Disabilities. Thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for this invitation, Jennifer. I really appreciate it, and I'm excited to be here and to engage at least in a one-way conversation with your listeners. Everybody will get something out of this. So today I wanted to talk to you about your ministry and your approach as you think about the church and its uh, call, our call to be a church that ministers and calls all to the gospel and all to a life of flourishing. I know that's a word that I read in your thesis. When I think of evangelization, I think of, you know, a person or a parish whose faith is just so contagious by the way they live it out as an expression in the ordinary events of their life that that just draws people to it. And and Pope Francis shares a great framework for us to talk about evangelization in his general audience on January 11th, where he's talking about Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector. He's a Jewish man collecting taxes for the Roman Empire, so he's a traitor amongst his people. But what Francis says, in the eyes of Jesus, Matthew is a man with both his miseries and his greatness. Jesus goes to the person, to the heart. This is a person, this is a man, this is a woman. Jesus goes to the essence, the noun, never the adjective. What's important about that is he sees the person, he sees the man, Matthew, in his fullness, not under the category tax collector and all of the sundry negative associations that would be there in his day. And he called him to follow him, right? Yes. But the other thing that Francis goes on to say that Jesus always looks on people with mercy. And what's interesting, mercy is much more than concern. It's actually recognizing both the challenges, so, you know, despite his miseries, but also his greatness. So it's being able to see the potential as well as the current sadness or problems or challenges, you know, despite what, so how someone looks on the surface. And then Francis goes on to say that especially Jesus is especially looking at puts, quote unquote, the so-called, quote unquote, distant ones. And that's really relevant to our conversation today because persons with disabilities certainly are very often those among the distant ones in Francis's or in our church and who feel marginalized and are marginalized. But back to thinking about evangelization in persons with disabilities and how you opened, what is evangelization with anyone? Right. Pope Francis reminds us it's seeing the person, not the category. Yeah. 
And then in the example in Pope, in Pope Francis's audience, he also talks about how after seeing Matthew, after calling Matthew, he then goes home with Matthew for a dinner and Matthew serves a feast with other tax collectors. He hasn't all of a sudden become Mr. Wonderful in the community. Jesus gets to know him. Right. And forms a relationship. And so that's really important, forming relationships with a person, getting to know them, their interests, dreams, fears, goals. And so being an evangelizing parish is, I, I would envision, where there is a true sense of belonging by people in the parish. And belonging is one of those wonderful words that is important. It's a basic human need. We all need to feel that. Yes. We know when we don't have it, and we know when we do. But there's actually been some good research that has been able to tease out, really, what belonging looks like. Okay. And there are 10 words that describe it, that define it. And all 10 actually need to be present. So first of all, a person needs to be present in the community. They need to feel invited and to feel welcomed, to feel known, accepted, supported, cared for, needed, befriended, and loved. People who feel that sense of belonging with all of those dimensions have been evangelized. And the people who have this real sense of belonging then also evangelize unconsciously. (laughs) It's a byproduct of the enthusiasm of their faith. I can't agree with you more, especially in that in all of those ways in which we not just encounter people, but we draw closer to them, especially with your uh, example from Pope Francis. With Matthew, Jesus got to know him, called him by name, didn't. It wasn't about who he was in the community. It was about the person. And then Jesus makes the conscious effort to become Matthew's community. He's not going to call Matthew, like you said, to a bunch of uh, other disciples' houses. He's going to Matthew's house to have dinner with him, to be in that in life with Matthew. And I think that's part of, right? That's- he forms a relationship with Matthew. Right, right. And he, gather- and he collects him as he's collecting his disciples. Right. Right. And I think the other thing for us to remember, too, is he called him to discipleship before he knew him. Right. He had faith, despite all observable indicators. Right. That this was a man who could be my disciple. Okay. A disciple. But that importance in forming relationships, yes. Yeah. So I think that's a, an important uh Distinction when we start to think about uh, the ways in which we reach people who have been marginalized, that we call them to community and we call them to bring their gifts, even if we don't know exactly how we're going to make it all work first. And then we trust that God has a plan for us to form a relationship together and both be uh, brought closer to him through that relationship rather than some of the other ways in which uh, we think of negative connotations of, of charity or that sort of thing. It's really the relationship is the charity. It's what we want to remember is to focus on person. Right. So when we talk about people of marginalized groups, rather than thinking of them within the context of the broader group, is to remember that they're all individual persons within. Mm -hmm. And so 
I am a woman. I also have ADHD. I have arthritis. I'm over a certain age, so I don't, you know, climb stairs as well as I used to. I mean, there are things. I also am a knitter, and I used to play tennis. I used to be a tennis player. I'm a mom, a wife. So there's different dimensions right. to me, this person, this person, Anne. And that's one of the things we have to remember when we're talking about anyone, persons with disabilities, persons of different faith traditions, different nationalities, skin color, that we actually are all a combination of diverse identities together and together, woven in together. Right. So what one person with a disability would enjoy and feel valued of and be able to do is going to be totally different than someone else. Right. And I think that the spirits with us, if we're willing, prompting us outside ourselves, beyond ourselves, into relationship with others. And so that does take a leap of faith to do that because encountering, really encountering others I think are different, who seem different on the outside from me, because I haven't yet recognized what we all share underneath, is going to make me feel awkward. Okay. And so I need to just remember that we are all children of God. We are all created in God's image. And to your point in, at the beginning is we are all created in God's image and so therefore valued and loved by God, not because of anything in us or me, but because I'm created out of love that I've received from God. And so that's what we're called to give to each other. Right. Thank you for all that, because you said off air before we started, you're a stickler for language. And I that's something I actually really appreciate about you because you, you pull me to think about things in a more deep way and to think about the ways in which I use language in a more deep way. So I think what I was, I'm trying to ham handedly talk about is that when I think about evangelization and this, and, and recognizing before I go out and become a charismatic person to call others to me, I have to have an internal conversion and I'm always, I'm called to a constant conversion of heart to constantly get closer to God and through his creations, through the people around me, the people who are called in love, just as I am, to love them more like I want to be loved by God and I want to accept in my own love and give my own love that I'm... I think you can relax. Okay. (laughs) Because you are a woman of faith. Right. And you do emanate joy and faith. Really, by all who encounter you, to <laughs> all you. who encounter you, and and you know, and actually going back to France's address on the eleventh, I mean he, I mean he does make the point too that in the point of Matthew, Matthew was called to become a disciple right away, right, and quite frankly, evangelization only happens as a byproduct of an encounter with that enthusiastic faith. If it's overthought, it's going to not catch. And actually, Pope Francis talks about the importance that evangelization is not proselytization. Right. In other words, we are called to bring others into encounter with Christ for conversion, not to teach doctrine. We can reflect on that experience within the teachings of the church 
afterwards, but none of that matters if there hasn't been an experience of faith and an encounter first. Right. So what does that look like roadmap-wise in terms of your specific office? So thanks. That's actually a really good question. And so at the heart of what the office exists specifically in supporting the mission of the Archdiocese of Newark, because persons with disabilities are marginalized in our society and are marginalized to a large extent still in our church, despite our very affirming teaching about the innate dignity, value, and worth and need for all, right? So the body of Christ is incomplete if anyone is missing. Right. And if anyone is missing specifically as a result of marginalizing attitudes, then St. Paul tells us we are actually not edifying Christ at all. Um, and so that's not what we should be about. So what I, in my work, trying to help to foster that, that connection and appreciation of the diversity of disability experiences, first of all, as I said, I have ADHD, I have arthritis. Disability actually is the... It's the interaction of a condition and a person and activities required and then the environment. So when we look at the environment, the environment is a combination of physical attributes, stairs, ramps, high ceilings, low ceilings, um, elevators, assisted listening devices, and then there's structures or processes that people have to go through. Do you have to stay sitting all the time? Is there allowed for movement? Um, As well as attitudes. Do people feel welcome? Really? Are the attitudes, a friend of mine and colleague, Renee, retired pit bull, blogger and um, disability advocate. She has cerebral palsy. She's a power wheelchair user. She is proficient in her blogging and very articulate. Her spoken expressive language is less so, but again, she articulates quite well with the written word. And she often has said, okay, the church says I belong because I'm baptized, but I often don't feel I belong because of the way I'm treated in certain places. So trying to foster that understanding because our parishes have many wonderful programs and initiatives, but very often the goals of programs and initiatives aren't considering the needs of all in the community of all in the parish. And so reconsidering what our goals are based on the capacities and participation of all in our community instead of deciding who is okay if they're left behind. So when we think about the gospel in Mark with the friends who ripped open the structures of the roof to lower their friend with paralysis right. <laughs> so that they could see Jesus, right? Yes. They yep. didn't say, stay outside, lay in the shade, we'll come back, we'll bring the message back to you, or we'll try another time for you. No, they ripped open the structures, essentially what was getting in the way. And it was their faith that draw Jesus to their friend. And so that is, I think, important for us to know. That is actually one of the great illustrations of the kind of obstruction there is. And those obstructions could be a roof, but could also be attitudes and and expectations. That's really important for uh, me to consider as well in terms of my pastoral ministry, but also in the ways in which I see sometimes we get very uh, rigid in our liturgies or the ways in which we minister, because it's it's how we as ministers are comfortable ministering. And I think that's an, an important distinction to really understand that real ministry 
happens with the person whom you're ministering with. Right. And also recognizing that as we're going through this journey of synodality, Mm -hmm. you know, a synod for synodality, it's really important to recognize even each parish community potentially is very diverse. Yes. And in fact, if it's not diverse, then we can already tell there are people left out either intentionally or unintentionally. So in other words, unwillingly, a parish could exclude people without realizing it, but then individuals with disabilities, just by the way things are set up, or there's no pictures of people with disabilities in any of the parish life events, or the website is inaccessible to screen readers, or the door is too heavy and has no mechanism for opening by a wheelchair user, well, then individuals with disabilities will feel unwelcomed by those things. Right. And they may be totally unconscious or unintentional. Yes. So, and back to liturgy and thinking about it, well, that's why a vibrant liturgy committee is important. That is really has representative voices of, of the community, too. Absolutely. In terms of the ways in which we're making sure that everyone is encouraged to be part of the community at worship. More than encouraged. I think recognizing the we is much larger then is often operative. And so calling individuals from diverse groups, from the full community, and in my case, persons with disabilities, into roles of leadership. So participating on a liturgy committee, right. um, on, the pastoral, on the pastoral council, you're serving as Eucharistic ministers, lectors, greeters, and not in quote-unquote stereotypic roles. Right. So not having predefined expectations about what someone should do or can do until getting to know them. Someone in my immediate family uh, uses a screen reader. If you need something researched, you give it to him because he's got the time and he's got the ability to search the web for any part, any way of fixing something. It's just this is something that he's passionate about and he's also completely blind, you know. And so he's been a part of a ministry at the parish since the 70s because it is exactly where and using his talents and using his abilities and um, called to a greater communal uh, participation. He wants to contribute beyond himself. Absolutely. And be part and be part of a larger identity. That's what we, as people of faith, that's what we all want. Yes. And so it's recognized. So I remember meeting a woman who is blind, who also knits. She's a musician. And then she also started, she joined the um, prayer shawl ministry in her parish. And they were like, Okay, you're blind. You're in the choir. So you can't, it's like someone's blind can't have two talents. (laughs) Right. Was the assumption. Yes. Which is ridiculous. And so that's really important for us to, to remember, being open to leadership in different ways. Yes. That that has implications for the choir director. Like, are you making recordings ahead of time so that person can practice at home? Because obviously handing out a, a written score is not going to be helpful. And how like how are you incorporating? Are you sending the uh, text of the words in a way in which the screen reader can read it back so they can practice the words because everything's memorized? Right. Right. It's recognizing the need for universal design. And what that means is really designing our environments so that all can participate. Because remember, in the examples I was in when I was explaining the definition of disability, the barriers, or rather the environmental concerns, are barriers or access. Individuals with disabilities don't have special needs. 
Right. They have human needs, mm -hmm. just as all people do. The desire to belong is a human need. The desire and the need for education is a human need. Meaningful work is a human need. Worship is a human need. Accessing those events, roles, and participation requires supports. So a friend of mine and colleague, Eric Carter, says there are no special needs, only human needs, but some do require intentional support. Right. And, and so that's the supports you were talking about. Those are access, and so those are supports that provide access. Not providing those introduce barriers, which totally contradicts our mission as disciples of Christ. Right. Yes, absolutely. So that is something for us, a point of reflection that I just thought of as we were talking now, is really thinking about it. What barriers are we introducing in our parish that impedes is a barrier for support for person, different individuals with disabilities? Again, you can look at other marginalized groups of people, too, but specifically to individuals with disabilities, what, are, what barriers have we put in place or are in place preventing a sense of feeling welcomed and invited to be supported? And then actually having meaningful engagement in relationships and opportunities for leadership and friendship. Yeah. And on my website, there's a lot of information. You can go under accessible synodality and there's some guidance there. That's wonderful. Any other directions you want to go? There was one thing, actually, that I just wanted to make, tying again to evangelization. Everything that Pope Francis does, if we look back over his papacy, there's definitely a a synergy and congruence in in his initiatives and orientations. And so, you know, when we talk about evangelization, authentic evangelization is absolutely incremental in that real sense of synodality and being a synodal, church of synodality. And what does that mean? Um, there's this lovely document on the spirituality for synodality. They name six habits mm -hmm. of a parish that really enthuses a spirituality for synodality. And what that means is it's a spirituality that is guiding them on the journey totally of synodality. And as we know, synodality is a journeying together, mm -hmm. listening to all the diverse voices, the ones that are uncomfortable as well as comfortable, and trying to discern where the Spirit is guiding us. And I just wanted to share those, if I, four of my favorite ones, if I could. The first one is that of empathic listening. And what that means is really feeling empathy for the person that you're engaged with, which means you relate to that person and understand, for example, a sense of feeling isolated or feeling not appreciated. Um, you know how that would feel. Even if you feel appreciated in your parish, you know what it would feel like in another experience that you've had. <laughs> and so how to be helpful to change that experience. And that's different from sympathy, which just feels bad. So when you feel when you feel sympathy for someone, you're listening with sympathy, oh that's too bad, poor you, poor you, poor you. But you're not moved to actually help change anything. Then the next is concern for contextual issues, and that's so important relative to persons with disabilities because context really impacts the experience of disability. Yes. You know, if there are, if there are barriers in place that are that impede access and participation, that's important to understand and look at, and, and what supports will provide access. 
The third one is concern for people of marginalized groups, and in this case, persons with disabilities. And then the fourth is a sense of accountability to one's faith. In other words, I am a disciple of Christ, and as a disciple of Christ, that means I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to actually care about people and and care honestly and sincerely from their perspective and concern for flourishing, as you brought up in the beginning, which, which just really means to be able to have access to the things of a fully human life. As a disciple of Christ, that's what I'm called to believe and live out. Not always easy. Can be challenging a lot of times. But as a person of faith, to recognize that God's grace and the Spirit present in my life, if I'm open to that, I'll continue to get better at it. Right. And that's the other thing. We're all a work in progress. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. So no matter where we are in any given day, mm-hmm. um, we can always get better. And that's that tension that we feel when we're uncomfortable about not knowing what to do. If we can live in that moment and ask for help, or in the case of encountering someone with a disability, and if you feel uncomfortable, not know how, don't know what to say, just say, hey, how are you today? Is there anything that would help make it easier for you to participate and feel welcomed here? Right. Yeah, sometimes just asking a question is the first step. And, and then remembering, relative to individuals with disabilities and evangelization, those who have felt marginalized and excluded by the church when fully embraced in a sense of a belonging will be evangelized and will become evangelizers. Before we go, we usually close in a prayer. One of the thoughts when I was preparing what to say with me, I'm such a in tune with music, right? (laughs) Was that? You are musically inclined. I am musically inclined, yes. So, um, but one of my favorite prayers comes from Psalm 4, verse 8, Psalm 5, verse 8, and then it takes a Whittier poem and kind of tags that on the end. But it's by Gwyneth Walker, who's Quaker. So this is Gwyneth Walker's prayer of compassion. Lead me, Lord, lead me in the paths of peace. Make your way plain before my eyes. For it is you, O Lord, you and you alone, who can make me dwell in safety. Lead me always to listen. Teach me to live with compassion, that when I come to my place of rest, only by your grace and not by my merit, no praise be mine, but let me keep a heart that still can feel and eyes that still can weep. O my brother, O my sister, for all who live in peril, for you let me keep a heart that still can feel and eyes that still can weep. That was a fitting ending to our conversation to keep allowing ourselves to be converted and being works in progress and asking the questions of the people around us. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Anne. God bless you. Heart of the Ark podcast is an initiative by the Office for Evangelization at the Archdiocese of Newark. If you want to find us online, you can find us at rcan.org slash evangelization. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Very soon, we'll be updating our social media for the Heart of the Ark, but you can find us on Fireside Podcasts at Heart of the Ark dot fireside
anchor.fm. Our theme song is composed by and orchestrated by Eric Hunter, a dear friend of mine. You can find out more about Eric and his performances and compositions at Eric, E-R-I-C, Hunter, H-U-N-T-E-R, music.com. This has been a pleasure, and I look forward to hearing from you and speaking with you in the future.